Hi, everybody. Thank you for welcoming us into your homes. I'm excited that we're beginning a brand new series today called You in Five Years. It's actually a deep dive into Romans chapter 8, which some people believe is the, perhaps the most important chapter in all of the Bible. And so in this series, we're going to talk about what you would like to see change in your life over the next five years. What improvements does the Lord have in store for you? And when you look back five years from now, we hope for you to be able to say, yeah, I have changed. Uh, God has done some really cool things in my life, and this is what's happening. Uh, what do you have to understand? What do you have to do in order to move in that direction? Now, let's be, let's be real clear. Uh, we're not focusing on our circumstances directly in this series. Uh, we are pinpointing you, your feelings, your behavior, your well-being, uh, also known as discipleship or spiritual formation. Now, um, so we're not directly assessing the changes that we want to see, like maybe you say, well, I'd like to learn, lose some weight over the next five years, or yeah, I'd like to be out of COVID restrictions in the next five years, or I'd like to see a new job in the next five years, or some home improvements. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about personal transformation. What are the things in your life that the, you think the Lord is working on that you would like to see change in the next few years? Our inner growth, this is what we're talking about, will of course affect everything else. Our relationships, our work, our happiness, our families, etc. Our text for this morning is, or for today, is Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now let's stop there for a moment. The word condemnation isn't a word that we're very familiar with, but in, in the original language, it meant penal servitude. So when it says there's no condemnation, it doesn't mean that we haven't done anything wrong. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that we haven't been found to have done something wrong, but rather there's no penal servitude. There's, there's no death coming out of it. There's no prison, prison sentence coming out of it. So in other words, the, the image that, that uh, Paul is painting for us here in the first few verses of Romans is that, uh, yes, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Uh, we, we have been found guilty. We have been guilty because of our actions. But even though we've been guilty and we're, we're deserving death, we're deserving the consequences of our sin, Jesus has stepped in and has done something for us so that there is actually no condemnation. There is no guilt. There is no penal servitude. Our text goes on to say, because through Jesus, Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and of death. Well, let's think about that for a minute. The law of the Spirit. That's, a, that's kind of a strange expression. But what it means is the rule of the Spirit, the authority of the Holy Spirit, the power of the, of the Holy Spirit has set us free. So because of what Jesus has done, the power of the Spirit, uh, there's a new sheriff in town, in other words, in our lives. There's, there's a new ruler. There's a new, there's a new code that has come to, to set us free. And it set us free from the law of sin and death. In fact, the, the old sheriff, the old ruler of our lives, uh, uh, in trying to obey all the rules, in, in trying to just be good, 
uh, that always just results in more sin and more death. In fact, the law, the Old Testament law, uh, Paul would argue in the previous chapter, actually um, tempts us. Uh, it's, it's like saying, uh, don't touch the wet paint, or, or wet paint, don't touch. Everybody wants to touch it just to see if it really is wet. Or when we say the stove's hot, we want to touch it to see if it really is hot. And so the law can sometimes tempt us to sin, and, and doesn't really have a lot of power to deliver us from, uh, well, from our old natures, from our, our way of living that is destructive. Our text goes on. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, in other words, the law, because we're human, uh, couldn't really make us perfect. It couldn't make us behave because we all live like, well, sometimes just like we want to live. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So the, the law was unable to do, Jesus has done be, by becoming like us. And he has become our sin offering. And I'll explain that a little bit later. And so he condemns sin in the flesh. Remember the word condemns means penal servitude, death sentence. So what Jesus has done is he's given a death sentence to sin. He's executed sin in us by the power of the Spirit. In order that the righteous requirement for the law might be fully met in us. In other words, what the law intended to do as a taskmaster, as a ruler, which couldn't really be accomplished in us because of uh, our sinfulness, our flesh, our, our, our tendency to go back to being the way we, we were. What it couldn't do, Jesus has made possible for us in that he's made us righteousness. He's made us in right standing with God. It says that it might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Well, let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word, for, to reflect upon what you're trying to say to us, and for engaging with your purposes in our lives. Thank you that you didn't come to just save us. You've come to change us. Uh, you've come to make us men and women made new by the power of the Spirit. Thank you for setting us free from the old way of living and for giving us a new kind of life, a life empowered by the Spirit. Help us, Lord, as we, as we go through this series to, to really see your power at work in us to change us from the inside out. In your name we pray, amen. So there are two words that Paul keeps using in his letters. Uh, and in Romans chapter 8, he uses this, this term flesh and this term spirit. Now, keep in mind that in his letters, Paul uses the term flesh in two ways. He uses it as in according to the flesh, and we see that in Romans 1, verse 3, chapter 2, verse 28, and chapter 9, verse 3. He doesn't use it in our text in chapter 8 this way, but he, he will use the term flesh this way, and, and it means from a human perspective, uh, according to human reasoning. Uh, there's no negative connotation here to the word flesh. It's just, well, just the way we normally think. So he will say things like, Jesus was David's son, according to the flesh. And what he means is according to human perspective, because Mary was descended from David, David, uh, Jesus was David's son, just from a human perspective. The second way he uses the word flesh, and this is what we find throughout this chapter. We find it in chapter 7, verse 5, in chapter 8, verse 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, and 12. It's, it means in the flesh, not flesh as in flesh and blood, 
but according to fallen nature. So he's using the term flesh to refer to, refer to our fallen nature. Uh, humanity with all of its weaknesses and vulnerability. Now, he's not just talking about sexual sin or, or bodily sins, because in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21, he talks about the flesh as resulting in things like idolatry, hatred, wrath, heresies, envy, murder, etc. I, I like to think of these things as disordered desires. The flesh is really Paul's reference to our disordered desires, our, our desires that lead to destruction in our lives, our, our, this innate human capacity to do things that are harmful. All those things result in harm for human beings, and they hurt us. And so this is what Paul refers to when he refers to flesh in our text. Now, he also refers to spirit in, in his letters. And, and in fact, in Romans chapter 8, it's perhaps the most common, most frequent word he's using. He uses it 20 times, the word spirit. And this is God's divine work in us, his surging power that leads us to victorious living. So it's in contrast to the flesh. It's in contrast to, to those destructive tendencies that we have to follow our, our disordered desires of, of our body. It's his power at work in us. This leads to victorious, engaging, passionate Christian living. So what is Jesus doing in your life? What is he up to? Well, our text tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is the key verse of our, a key verse in our four verses that we read. In other words, no guilt. Our, our wrongdoings have been erased. There's no penal servitude. It says that Jesus is our sin offering. Now, this is an Old Testament concept. We see it in verse 3. There's this biblical idea that we participated with Adam in the original sin. And we have participated with Christ in the solution to that sin. Um, now, we tend not to think of it this way. Uh, we tend to think of ourselves very individualistic. But in the Old Testament, in the Bible, there's this view that because we are humans, we are part of the human race. And when Adam sinned, we participated in that sin. And uh, when Jesus died on the cross, we participated in that death and in that resurrection. And so we have this kind of language in, in, in the biblical literature of us participating with Adam in sin, which has caused all kinds of destruction, and participating with Christ in righteousness, in, in what he did for us on the cross, where we've died with Christ. But keep in mind, we are not guilty simply because of what Adam did. So we, we can't blame Adam and say, well, Adam did it, and therefore I'm suffering the consequences, because we too have all participated in sin. We have made personal choices to follow suit, so to speak. We follow what Adam did, and, and we've been selfish, and we have done, we followed our disordered desires, and uh, we have done similar to him. Uh, we have sinned. We have fallen short of what God intends for us. And just as we're not sinful, because of simply what Adam, because of our personal participation. So we are not made free, we are not made righteous simply because of what Jesus did. We must participate in righteousness, the right way of living, by faith. This has to be a personal choice because Jesus died on the cross. I have the freedom to accept him, to call upon him, 
to allow my faith to uh, help me identify with who Jesus is. And this is the grace that's been offered to us through Jesus Christ, that we can, through faith in Jesus, receive the Spirit and enter this new life. Well, if this is true, then what? There's a number of things that, that change because of this, this participation with Christ, by, by us having faith in what He has done for us. First of all, we come to understand that, that God is not against us. And this is really important to come to grips with. In other words, uh, this idea of no condemnation means that, that God is, in fact, for us. In fact, uh, later on in Romans chapter 8, we'll talk about that. If God be for us, who can be against us is the verse that we'll be looking at. But we need to understand then that God not only loves us, He likes us. He doesn't hold any animosity towards us for our past behavior, for our past sin. That's what it means, no condemnation, no penal servitude. Our mistakes of the past can no longer hold us hostage. Now, this is a really, really important concept to grasp as followers of Jesus, because many, many people in this world are held hostage to the sins of the past, either things that they have done that have harmed others and harmed themselves, or things done to them which have caused harm. And so what we find is that a lot of the uh, illnesses we see today, even physiological illness, but so, uh, psychological illness, is a result of bad things that have happened in our past that hold us hostage today because we're living under the condemnation of them. We're living under the guilt of them. And, and what Christ has done, he's, he's brought the Spirit into our lives so that we could be free, so that we're not held hostage to things that have happened in the past, either done to us or things that we have done. In fact, here's the, here's the miracle of grace. Those things that have harmed us in the past or those things that we've done to harm ourselves or other in the past are used by the Spirit when Jesus comes into our lives as leverage to help others. So not only are, there, are they incapable of harming us, they enable us to bring good to others. And, and we see this all the time. People who have had a drug problem in the past after they come to Christ often become counselors or helpers for those who are struggling with drug problems. Those who have been sexually abused in the past are used by God to help people who are undergoing sexual abuse today. And so uh, what God does through the power of the Spirit in our lives is that He takes those things that have happened in their past because of disordered desires, and he changes them around and allows them to become leverage for us so that we can be used to help others. Uh, condemnation is guilt over confessed sins, and there's no room for that in our lives because we confess our sins. There's no room for condemnation. Conviction, on the other hand, is guilt over unconfessed sins. And there is room in our lives for conviction because from time to time we'll fall short of what we should be doing and we are convicted by the Holy Spirit, not condemned, but convicted and we need to respond appropriately. So moving away from fleshly desires, we move toward the Spirit's desires. That's what Romans chapter 8 verse 1 to 4 is talking about. Jesus died to forgive us. But not only did Jesus die to forgive us, he died to change us. He just doesn't leave us. He wants 
transformation in our lives. And, and it's not about making us safe. It's about actually making us dangerous to the enemy. I know when, when, our, when our boys were small and, and we would pray for them, my, my constant prayer for my, for my children and now for my grandchildren is not that they would just become churchgoers. It's not that they would just become uh, people who would occupy space in a church, but that they, in fact, would become dangerous to the enemy, that they, in fact, would, would learn to follow the Spirit, to, to follow the Spirit's desires, and so that they would be a threat to the enemy and, and do something good for the kingdom of God. So as, as we move forward in our life with Christ, as we learn to, to grow in Christ, we're learning to say no to the flesh and the disordered desires of the flesh. And, and that's a really important aspect of following Jesus, learning to say no, because the flesh is incredibly resilient. The flesh is incredibly apt at creating um, desires that will take us down the wrong path and move us away from following the Spirit. Now, fasting is an important um, soul exercise that helps bring, bring our f- flesh under control. So if you're asking me, okay, how do I move in this direction? How do I move away from my disorderly desires to the desire of the Spirit in my life? Well, the first thing we need to do is to practice fasting. Now, fasting is giving something up in order to keep our body's desires under control. It could be food. It could be uh, internet. It could be our telephones, it could be sex, it could be uh, alcohol, it could be any number of things that, that our desires, our, our fleshly desires are moving towards. And we need from time to time, and in fact on a regular basis, fast and say, no, no, the spirit is in control of my body, my flesh is not control of my behavior. And that's really important. But, but it's not enough just to say no. Uh, we also have to say yes to the Spirit. Dallas Willard said something, and I love this quote. He said, not going to London or Atlanta is a poor plan for going to New York. <laughs> you see what he's saying? He's saying, saying no won't get you there. You have to say yes to the Spirit. You have to have a plan to move ahead, and the plan to move ahead is saying yes to the Spirit. Spirit, be alive in me. Fill my life. Let me hear the desire of Jesus in my life so that I move in that direction. Well, this is a lifelong pursuit, and I encourage you to join with me in this series as we think about ourselves five years from now. How do we want to grow? Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for the power of your Spirit in our lives that overcomes the desires of our flesh, our disordered desires. We thank you for your work in us. We thank you that there is no guilt, no condemnation, no penal servitude for those who have come to you who desire to walk after the Spirit. So help us, Lord, to grow. Help us to change from the inside out. We thank you that you are involved in our lives and that your Holy Spirit is prompting us even today. Help us to think of things that we need to change in in our lives, in in our uh, present circumstances and how we're living and how we're thinking and how we're going about our routines and our activities so that we would truly learn to live according to the Spirit and not according to our flesh. In your name we pray. Amen. We have a question for you to consider. 
And uh, for the next few minutes, I wonder if you just consider this as a music place. Here's the question. What is the Lord working on in your life? Not in your circumstances, but in you. Would you think about that over the next few minutes and maybe pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you to overcome any of the disordered desires that perhaps you've been struggling with and to grow in Christ? Worship team will be worshiping, and I'll come back with a concluding comment. The disordered desires of the flesh that we've been talking about are really not our deepest desires. They are not really what we really, really want. Now take a deep breath. What you really, really want is to love and be loved. There is a direct connection between desires of the Spirit and love. That's why Jesus makes love such a great priority in the life of the Spirit and in the life of the disciple of Jesus Christ. Because we, we really desire to be loving people. We really, really desire to be people of the Spirit deep down in our lives. In, in fact, I think everybody in the world, I, I think not only Christians, everybody in the world desires to be loved and to love well. Um, just uh, even when you go to funerals, I think this points it out. I, I hear this all the time at funerals. Uh, funerals really point out our aspirations, our deepest desires, because when we talk about our loved one who's passed away, we, we always talk about uh, how they might have followed the Spirit, how they might have followed uh, God's desires and the good things in their lives. And, and, and we see this as, as something, and we talk about it as something that we all desire to do. We, we want to be the kind of people who love and who are loved. You see, deep in your bones is a hunger for life in the Spirit. When you really drill down into your life, when you really think about what you really, really, really want, it's life of the Spirit. And uh, this is where we're moving. This is where we're going. We're moving away from the disordered desires of the flesh, and we're moving toward the power of the Spirit at work in us to change us, to become like Jesus. Our doxology for this series is found in the little book of Jude, verse 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.